What's up, guys, and welcome to the We Believe Golden State Warriors Basketball Podcast, a sports ethos presentation. I'm your host, Sam Orlick. With you guys here today on Thursday, March 17th, and we've got a very interesting show today, doing things a little bit differently than we've done really in any episode so far this season. So first and foremost, uh, I'm recording this, um, as I just mentioned, on Thursday the 17th. I had queued up and completed a great episode with Corey LeBeau yesterday prior to the Celtics Warriors game, really digging into um, what the return of Draymond Green and Klay Thompson and all the pieces kind of coming together, James Wiseman, and just everything kind of culminating. Obviously, uh, breaking news last night towards the end of the game, Marcus Smart collision with Steph Curry. Uh, Steph Curry would immediately head to the locker room on his own accord and would be ruled out for the remainder of the game. Warriors would go on to lose to the Celtics um, without Curry and... Um, we were anxiously awaiting results of an MRI this morning. We've got a few different reports coming out. So basically what I wanted to do is first cover the Steph Curry news and impact and then kind of segue into the really great episode that Corey and I went through yesterday. Um, might not, you know, there's obviously a lot of implications and changes to this Warrior team with or without Steph Curry. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to do things a little bit differently today and see how that all shakes out. But before we get into all of that, hey, listeners, please take a moment to follow at Fantasy Ethos BK on Twitter, the single most dominant basketball and fantasy news feed on earth. Get all your NBA news in one handy Twitter feed. It's faster than the competition and provides more analysis, too. Again, that's at Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. Follow now. So. As I mentioned, uh, Stephen Curry to the locker room, I think it was early third quarter, would not return. Moses Moody also took a shot to the shoulder uh, in the second quarter. He wouldn't return either. And so we got some news this morning about an hour ago. We've got Shams Charnia reporting that Steph Curry has been diagnosed with a sprained ligament in his left foot that will sideline him indefinitely per sources from The Athletic. X-rays on the left foot returned negative, meaning no fracture or major damage, which is obviously a big sigh of relief. Then, um, a little later, about 15 minutes later, we have Adrian Wojnarowski reporting that Initial evaluation of Steph Curry's sprained ligament in his left foot offers optimism that he can return by the start of playoffs in mid-April, but he's expected to see specialists soon for further evaluation. Um, And then we have other sources basically kind of reading between the lines saying that um, there's really two scenarios here. Either one, no... You know, assuming that no specialists look at his MRI and says that he needs surgery based on the initial uh, Sharms tweet that I mentioned, best case for Curry would be seven to 10 days out. Uh, worst case would be six to eight weeks out. Uh, Anthony Davis, for comparison, is nearing week four for his foot sprain as a comparison. Oh, man. 
this is huge news. Obviously, we wish our best for Steph Curry and hopefully for a speedy recovery. Obviously, would love to see the um, lighter end of that timetable, 7 to 10 days. Uh, 6 to 8 weeks would obviously just be killer. I also read reports of 3 weeks. So... Um, it seems like it's unclear, honestly, is, is what I'm really getting at. There have been some initial initial evaluations as been mentioned and quoted in these tweets, but we don't have necessarily a super clear um, timetable or really um, full evaluation or complete evaluation, I should say. So... Really, at this point, all we can do is speculate. Obviously, missing Steph Curry, this is just going to be a huge task for this Warriors team to come out into the postseason if Steph Curry isn't ready and available. Um, but let's talk about what this means, right? And first and foremost, it's Jordan Poole, who had two points coming into the second half and just really took off, finished the game with 27. Um, I think he had almost 20 points in the third quarter. Looked super aggressive compared to the first half where he was really shut down. Um, tried attacking the rim and Robert Williams sent him away on multiple occasions. Three ball wasn't falling initially, but he really found ways to get into the teeth of the defense and find what they were willing, find shots that they were willing to concede to him, which were just a flurry of mid-range uh, mid jumpers, three-pointers, and then finally got cooking a little bit getting to the rim. So... For the Warriors really to have any shot here in um, kind of staying afloat and not just really taking a nosedive in the standings, Jordan Poole is going to need to step up big time. And I think this is just really a great opportunity for him playing at really the best he's ever played in his young career at 22. He's still got a lot to prove. And I mean, I've been calling him Steph Curry light for uh, a lot of the season when he's been in kind of these modes where he's just going gangbusters. And so I think we're going to see a lot of that continue. Obviously, he can't do everything that Steph Curry does or he can't fully replicate what Steph Curry does, but he can come pretty close, right? Um, incredibly lethal from three, able to attack the rim, elite free throwing. He's shown a lot more growth and development as a playmaker. And so... You know, they're going to thrust him into that role and he's going to play big minutes and, and hopefully he can deliver. Draymond Green getting back, obviously really big for this team even more so, although Draymond continues to be on a minutes limit. He played 24 minutes against Boston. He looked really good out there. So, you know, Poole, Draymond, and Clay Thompson. You got Andrew Wiggins who missed last night due to illness. Would be great to get him back. Gary Payton has been out for an extended period of time and we've got an update on Gary Payton who is targeting return on Sunday against the San Antonio Spurs after being out for two weeks so getting Payton back would be huge um you had Otto Porter start the game against the Celtics he looked really good uh and was really our only only really our only offense early in that first quarter for a Boston team that just absolutely blitzed the Warriors all night defensively using their length and physicality really bothered them you could see this this looked like a game where Andrew Wiggins size and strength and maybe even James Wiseman um, would have been much appreciated uh, Jonathan Kaminga struggled a little bit too in this game again bothered by the size and length of the Celtics so 
Um, you know, obviously tough loss, but I think everything's a little bit overshadowed by Steph Curry's injury. Um, it's hard to say what to expect for this team as we're approaching the postseason. Um, it's really going to hinge on Steph Curry and, and what he can do. Uh, I don't think it's a huge issue if the Warriors drop to, you know, maybe four or even five if they just really start to drop games here. But I wouldn't be surprised if they're able to stay afloat and win some games and continue to play competitive ball. I mean, we saw them overcome a 21-point deficit to Boston last night, uh, nearly get back into it. I think they cut it to five at one point. So very capable team, very deep team, as we've been saying throughout the season, Next man up, obviously nobody can really do everything that Steph Curry does, but I think that Jordan Poole is one of the best in the business if you could have to pick anyone to kind of try and attempt to fill his shoes. Uh, and, you know, this is going to be a moment for Jordan Poole. Another shout-out that I want to make is to Quindary Weatherspoon, who uh, is currently on a two-way deal, plays in Santa Cruz. He got called up, played some really big minutes tonight, or sorry, not tonight, last night against Boston. And just really showed a lot of size, a lot of poise, a lot of strength, um, grit and grind, able to just fight for rebounds, play hard on defense, complete plays, finish shots. So I'd like to see him get a few more minutes here with the big hole um, missing with Steph Curry. And um, yeah, that's really all I have to say about that. We're going to continue to watch uh, further reports from... The Golden State Warriors as they give updates as Steph Curry continues to get more um, feedback and evaluation on his left foot sprain. And I mean, man, really tough blow, but um, you know, you got to take, you got to take what you get and move on and move forward and uh, next man up. So we'll see how all of this shakes out. Hey guys, so we have a brand new daily fantasy partner at Sports Ethos, Thrive Fantasy. Prop up with Thrive Fantasy on their mobile app or at thrivefantasy.com. Use code ethos when you sign up to get a 100% deposit match bonus on your first deposit up to 100 bucks. Plus, either two or four free game tickets to play. Pick player props on the biggest names playing every night. Score points when your props hit. And the players with the most points win a share of the nightly prize money. And check out our Sports Ethos DFS team or podcast for advice on winners. Again, that code is ethos over at thrivefantasy.com. All right, so we've concluded the injury update recap um, for kind of the breaking Steph Curry news. At this point, I want to segue into my episode with Corey LeBeau. And without further ado, let's get right into it. Hey, Corey. Hey, Sam. How you doing, man? Pretty good. Can't complain. Another beautiful day in sunny Southern California. Perfect. How about you? I'm doing all right, man. Doing all right. Excited to be in the stretch run of the season. I know. It's uh, how quickly things change. I Honestly, it's like it feels like it was an eternity in one way. And everything's always going to be that way. And then all we do is get a player back, a player leaves, and, you know, things can change so quick. Nice to keep in mind as we get into the playoffs. I know, right? Just to kind of kick things off on that on that note, um, I was doing a little bit of 
research last week in the midst of that brutal stretch for the Warriors in, in which they went two of eight um, mm-hmm. in a stretch of 10 games and defensive rating or efficiency was really one of the key contributors to that stretch and, and some losses and some just really overall rough play. And, you know, surprisingly or not surprisingly, the Warriors actually ranked 27th in defensive efficiency or defensive rating during that stretch. And, you know, still on the season as a whole, number one, which just speaks to how ridiculously good they were um, earlier in the season. But compare that to now, when you look at the last four games, in which the Warriors are currently on a four-game win streak and um, currently sitting at number three in defensive rating. So, you know, Draymond Green obviously plays a huge role role in that, but, you know, Draymond just came back on Monday. So, you know, we won three games coming into that before, and you just kind of see – what it's going to take for this team to win and how Steve Kerr likes to run his teams. And, you know, there's just so much dialogue and discourse and, and when things aren't going well, finger pointing and yeah, the offense was, was pretty hard to watch. And, you know, we had 20 point leads against Dallas and against the Lakers and it just wasn't enough Mm -hmm. to close out games. Um, or Lakers or maybe Clippers. Um, you know, just brutal fourth quarter stretches where we went scoreless for seven or eight minutes. So definitely not fun to watch, but I felt, I felt like through those times, it was really more about the defensive efficiency and, you know, the offense, the offense always kind kind of flows off of our defense. And, and also at the end of the day, this is really, this was really the longest stretch we've ever played without Draymond. And it just goes to show how much pressure Draymond takes off of Steph Curry by not having to have the ball in his hands um, and how much we missed him in that, in that sense, among other things that Draymond does so well. Yeah, definitely. You know, well, playing without Draymond, we got off to the good start. We had like that nine game win streak for a while with Draymond out. And then it just started to pile up and the wear and tear of having to be so undersized against every single matchup. Uh, really started to hit home. People forget how important Draymond is to the offense. He's like not just the defensive safety in terms of telling everyone to go. He's also the offensive coordinator and where everyone goes, the traffic cop pointing out where the screens are, making sure it goes, making sure people go in the right place. And it was so fun watching him come back against uh, in the last game against the Wizards because Steph played so brilliantly with Draymond on the court, but it's not like, it doesn't make any sense that Steph can't make an open shot when Draymond's not in, but once he is in, he can hit those open shots. That doesn't make any sense. And I think it's just the level of confidence and assurance that Steph has knowing that someone else can be the adult in the room and someone else can make sure people aren't getting in his way. And all Steph has to focus on is doing what he does and making his shots because Steph played a really, he did a good job being the point guard over this stretch. Like he was averaging high assists. He was really kind of doing a Chris Paul impersonation almost. And it was clearly wearing on his shot. And it's clearly 
the mental fatigue of having to let these little baby dubs know where to go and what offense to run and what plays to go. How many times do we see Steph like point at somebody, move them over? That's all the stuff that Draymond was doing and kind of likes to do. I think Steph likes being more, not passive, but definitely just more in his flow, doing his thing. And that's why the Warriors thrive is when he gets to do that. So awesome to have Draymond back and really allow Steph to be Steph and the immediate impact it makes. Yeah, right. What is uh, the numbers in the 15 minutes that Steph and Draymond were on the floor together? Steph had 41 points. Yeah. (laughs) It's just wild. Um, But so going back to a point that you just made a moment ago that I really agree with is, you know, it's not to say that that Steph Curry did a bad job while Draymond was out playing point guard or really playing more of the facilitator role in offense because he was doing really well. It's Mm -hmm. that we were unable to make opposing defenses pay when they blitzed Curry with two defenders. We missed having the cutoff guy who could then turn the double team on Curry into an advantage three on two or four on three and make them pay with an easy shot at the rim. Totally. And so there was no consequence for, for sending everything you could at at Curry. And I think in that nine game stretch, um, I don't have the numbers up in front of me, but just going off of memory, I think one of the key contributing factors to why we were able to su- sustain success is because you had Poole and Wiggins going gangbusters through that time, kind of each putting up 20 points or, or something similar, combining for 30 to 40 points a game to where there was enough offensive firepower on the floor and you had Otto Porter, who was healthy, playing really well, kind of filling that role defensively and, and being a, a solid force helping on defense, blocking shots, getting steals, rebounding. Um, And so I think Otto Porter missing games really hurt us there as well. So yeah, I think we got this false sense of hope that like, hey, we can do it without Draymond. Look, we're winning games. Wait, we won nine in a row. And then, you know, I think it was also the, the caliber of teams we were playing was kind of more like the Pacers, the Rockets, um, Detroit, and not like Dallas, Denver. Um, so yeah, different things there, but yeah, really nice to see Curry get back to having fun, right? Like running around on the floor, mm-hmm. dancing, getting to his spots, getting in rhythm, Draymond directing traffic. Yeah. I love to see Draymond like one hand on the ball and the other hand, like waving a guy's like literally telling go cut back door and yeah. throws him the back door pass. Like the defender can't even do anything. It's like Draymond's literally saying, go do this for everyone to see. And it, you, you can't even respond quick enough. You're like, ah, yeah, I, I know he's going to throw that pass, but I, can, I still can't get there <laughs> to stop. Yeah. It. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, and it's so good to see Draymond play well too, and play with energy and verve. Um, it seems like, I mean, fingers crossed, right. All knocks on the table, but hopefully he's going to be good for the playoffs too. Yeah. He didn't I, miss a beat. He didn't look, there is no sense of like, sluggishness or or out of sync or he hit yeah. he hit a three his first his first three <laughs> that was, was, pretty wild. was like 
<laughs> that was almost like the clay dunk on the first game back. It was just like all of the energy just coming through. I don't know. Next time we'll see a three. Hopefully not too long. <laughs> uh, you know, it was interesting watching them play because I think the two big forces that were happening, Sam, it wasn't just Draymond being out. It was also Clay coming back. And Clay, it was so great to have him back, but he's taken a while to get back into rhythm. And it's not necessarily that he's not playing as well as he can because he's had some good games and he can play well. It's that he's monopolizing, or at least was, especially as he was getting more into the flow during that losing streak. He was monopolizing a ton of the offense and really kind of throwing, throwing off what they were doing. And I think watching Poole and Wiggins struggle wasn't just the Draymond being out. It was also figuring out how to handle Clay too. And, you know, maybe it all actually worked out timing-wise because you don't have Draymond in. So Clay does get to be, you know, an offensive starter. He gets to call his own shot more. He gets to make plays. He gets to kind of test out what he can and can't do and what he might need to get more in rhythm for. And now that Draymond's back, it's like, okay, I can go back to being the Clay that I know, the Clay that I, that I was before. And I got kind of all of that out of my system of trying to like kind of stretch my game because it's been so long since I've played. So it's nice to see things kind of clicking at the same time. I'm hoping it continues moving forward. Yeah, Clay Thompson, you know, it was obviously huge to have him back and kind of expected growing pains. But yeah, I mean, when you're putting up 20 shots and maybe hitting eight of them and a lot of your shots are like highly contested, very Mm -hmm. difficult step back, long twos with the defender in your face or like long shots that the other team is running back for layups. Yeah. It kind of compounds the issues because we're not playing well defensively. Our guys are struggling on offense and then we're taking a lot of bad shots. And then the other team's just running it, running the ball down our throat. Yeah. So I felt like clay was kind of hunting and pressing a little bit rather than letting the offense come to him, which we saw last night, kind of the reversal of that. He let, he let the, the offense, the game, just kind of the ball find him in good spots, more catch and shoot and less work off the dribble. Um, You know, I think part of that was to be expected, but to a certain point, Steve Kerr started making comments about it after game saying like Clay needs to stop trying so hard. He needs to just, Clay wants everything to come back instantly. He needs to understand it's a process. And I mean, he, Clay's a very smart guy. He knows and he's, you know, he's trying to do his best. So it wasn't necessarily like, Hey, take them out of the game. But you're right. It was kind of like some of these games you kind of were part of the reason why we got into such a hole or or end up struggling. And, um, and it wasn't like he was a net negative on defense either, but he hadn't really necessarily made strides on defense either to where like he had Mm -hmm. big plays where you're like, Oh man, he's so impactful on defense. Um, I know that he recently made comments to Kerr, about wanting to start guarding um, the opposing team's best player, um, which is currently what Wiggins been doing. So all good things, just part of the growing pains and process. And like you said, kind of good timing that everything's kind of coming together. Now those difficult stretches and um, bad losses kind of seem like they're in the rear view mirror now. And I mean, we're still missing, we're still missing key pieces. Gary Payton, Andre Godard, James Wiseman, mm-hmm. 
So there's still more reinforcements to come. The rotation's going to get pretty sticky because there's a lot of guys who deserve opportunity. There's a lot of productive players on this Warriors roster. It's going to be a challenge, to say the least, for this coaching staff and Steve Kerr to figure out who he wants to play and which scenarios and who the starting group is going to be, especially, you know, down the stretch here is we close out the regular season and even more so uh, once we reach the postseason. Yeah. Who the starting group is going to be Sam, are you trying to hint at maybe there might be a change into the starting lineup? Maybe, maybe a certain Andrew Wiggins might not be in the, in the rotation. What do you, what are you thinking there? I think Wiggins is locked into the starting five. I think it will be um, maybe Jordan Poole. Maybe Jordan. some games he starts, some game he doesn't. Yeah, I mean, Steve Kerr already said that more or less this this group, he doesn't have a core starting five. With this team, they're too deep, and it's going to be matchup-based. So, you know, maybe, maybe against uh, – you know, if we go up against Denver or Dallas or something like that, let's look and look like one of those teams in the six or seven spot. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if he if he maybe one night he wants to start Gary Payton to really lock up John Morant. Maybe another night he wants to have a lot of a lot more offense on the floor and he goes with Jordan Poole. I do think Andrew Wiggins is pretty safe as far as a starter goes as you're starting small forward because of how good he's been defensively, even though his offense is tapered off a little bit, although he did kind of get back on track against Washington. But I think the other thing we got to take with a grain of salt is Washington is pretty bad. Like, yeah, yeah. they're missing a lot of players and, and they play hard. It's not to say that they're like not giving it their best. Um, I think most teams actually this season are playing hard, even the bad teams, even the Detroit Pistons, the Houston Rockets, um, the Indiana Pacers, the Thunder, like all these kind of bottom seed teams, they all play hard. Like there's no automatic win on any given night. But I think for Steph in particular, the last, because it's Washington's an East Coast team, we only play them once or twice a season. Like the last five or six games, Steph against Washington has scored like between 40 and 50 points. So yeah. <laughs> they've just never had anybody to stop him in particular. Um, yeah. But it was kind of like a get a get right kind of game where everyone had big nights. Jordan Poole continues to be gangbusters. So I don't know. I think maybe Wiggins at the end of games could be questionable depending on how his free throws are looking. At, you know, it seems like it's going to be a game by game approach from the foul line for him. But I do still love the energy and intensity that he brings, even though the offense is is hit or miss and the and the aggressiveness comes and goes. What do you think? I think, well, it's just interesting. We definitely have so many different pieces. But when we talk about changing the starting lineup, we're saying we could put in Peyton, we put in Poole. There's no way that Kerr's benching Steph, Clay, or Draymond, right? Like absolutely no way any of them are coming off the bench during or Looney. the playoffs. Yeah, I don't think or Weisman, or I don't think Wiseman's ever going to start. I think that so that, that, that really, is your core four. Yeah. So it really is just Wiggins in terms of of coming off. If we're going to add that extra like perimeter defense for Peyton, if we want a little extra ball handling juice for Poole, Wiggins. 
I mean, it's been a tough second half for him, man. It's been a tough second half. I think Clay wanting to guard like the point of attack and the best player on the other team, that's Wiggins' role. And it's not like the Warriors were like, no way, Clay. Like, you're, don't worry about it. We've got somebody because their defense was suffering too. Now, against Milwaukee, I thought that might have been last Saturday. That might have been the best win of the season. Without Draymond, national television, they've been in this little funk. They had two wins to prove it was real against the reigning champs. That was awesome. And it was awesome seeing Wiggins play like that. So I'm hoping, I mean, is it? it's so funny. He had two free throw attempts, but he makes both of them. And we're like, whoa, is this a turning point for Wiggins in his season? But it yeah, really <laughs> when it you go from like thirty percent to hundred percent, yeah, it's wild. So I'm I'm hoping he can turn around. I'm a little worried, Sam, and you know, like concern trolling, right? Like this team looks good as long as Dre, Clay, and Steph are good. Like I'm not worried about this team making a deep run. But Wiggins and Clay feel a little redundant in this offense. It's like Clay's more of a three now than a two, and. They kind of are doing the same things. I think that's one of the reasons Wiggins is kind of like waxed and waned over this last period because Clay's kind of taking the shots that he used to take. So when it was time for Wiggins to do it, he wasn't getting up for it. I'm not sure. Maybe Draymond being back and just like really the stretch run is going to kind of sort everything out. But I'm wondering, yeah, if maybe Kerr's thinking that we don't close with Wiggins depending on the matchup. Yeah, so... I think that, you know, Wiggins career, career year shooting from behind the three point line. So I think that's a big piece for him. Um, But where Wiggins was of most value to us, I think through the first half of the season where he was all-star wigs was on the block in the post and they'd post him up. They'd post him up ATOs after timeouts. And just when we needed a bucket Wiggins in the post, and he was really good, you know, 10 to 10 to 15 feet in face up, get to the rim. Um, he wasn't worried about getting fouled and, and missing free throws. I think as the free throw shooting really, really, really regressed, you know, because it's like it's like career low 70s. Like that's reasonable, you know, three or four. Right. That's mm-hmm. what Fitz always says. Three out of four, three out of four. <laughs> um, but when you're shooting like 30 percent. You're like, I don't want to go to the rim, you know, or, or you go yeah. up and attack and it's like you double pump to avoid the contact. So I think, yeah, part of it was we weren't able to get into those sets where we were finding him at the low post. And then the other part is he just wasn't feeling the same drive and aggressiveness to get to the rim like he was before. Because um, that is something, a unique skill set that maybe him and like Kaminga are really the only two guys who were like, well, Kaminga's totally. not like a post-up guy, but as far as like put your head down and get to the hoop um, yeah. with, with intensity. You know, Jordan Poole gets to the rim as well, but in, in different fashion. So, in very like graceful, super speedy ways. Yes. yes. So I do think that that is a unique skill set that Wiggins brings. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Steve Kerr does in this stretch run, kind of tinkering with the lineup and we'll get a taste of of what he wants to do. And there's a lot of options. And so, yeah, you know, we haven't, nobody's played us at full strength. I mean, we're not even, we're not even fully healthy yet. Like, yeah, we got our main guys back now, but Wiseman and Iguodala and Gary Payton, like those guys all give us a unique skill set to for Steve Kerr to work with in in different situations that I don't know what teams are going to do. 
Yeah, totally. I think that's such a good point, Sam, about Wiggins going on the block. That was such like a new texture to the Warriors offense, having a guy who could, you just, you could put in the post and overwhelm them with size and it almost always worked. It was great bailout uh, possessions too. If like, we just needed a bucket, we could go to that now. Yeah. I mean, the free throw shooting is just like, you can hear the groans in the Warriors crowd. It's just got really intense at a certain point. So he's not finishing with the same force or really at all, but also those are starting to become Clay's plays. Like Clay's the one who's isolating against the smaller guard and kind of doing a turnaround and shooting it in. And it'll be good to see how it all operates with the full team, how all of them can play together. Because honestly, if Wiggins just like camps out in the corner and is just striping it from there, that's great too. Yeah. If it works out, as long as he stays motivated on defense. Because I think when we were going through that losing streak and Steph was saying like, we, I'm, I'm not going to let this like loser mentality and the acceptance that we're just going to lose. That's not going to happen here. And that's what he was talking about. That's kind of, it was the effort that was happening during those plays. Like in the fourth quarter, you're just kind of watching and almost expecting the game to slip away. And it's of course a lot more prevalent when, when you don't have Draymond just like yelling at you to start playing harder. Right. But um I think especially with Wiggins, he can be so even keeled seeing like how he really finishes this season after this pretty like this period of turmoil where he wasn't playing up to his all-star status, how he's going to be able to finish strong and kind of get that mindset right for the playoffs. I'm excited to see. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Um, But Sam, you know what I'm really hyped to see with all the different options when we finally get full strength? What's that? And we finally have Andre Iguodala in with Steph, Clay, Draymond, and even Looney. And then it's like, yes, championship core caliber team right here. The first time that the four and then five with Looney are going to take the court together and they do one of those ping, ping, ping passes around. I, I might <laughs> weep with joy, Sam. I might weep with joy. What's the uh, what's going to be the new death lineup? Do you throw Jordan Poole in there? Do you put Jonathan Kaminga? That's, you know what? I think even just, I think Kaminga is so exciting. That's just been one of the, the one like bright spot of that, like losing streak that the dubs went on was how good the Rooks showed out. And Kaminga and Moody really kind of carving out a place in the rotation over Juan Toscano Anderson and Damian Lee. Uh, they're exciting to watch, man. And Kaminga, there are times where I was like, is this dude better than Wiggins? Like he's shooting his free throws. He's getting to the line. He's so aggressive. He's a great point of attack defender. Like a couple of times he'll get like, you know, up and under by a savvy vet. But for the most part, he's pretty good when you stick him on somebody. I've been, ex- I've been excited seeing him uh, grow before our eyes, like almost every game. Yeah, I think if not for Kaminga, those um, some of those bad losses that were like within within five points would have been blowouts, like ten plus point losses, oh, yeah. because Kaminga's just been double figures starter or off the bench, so consistent, like attempting half of our free throws free throw attempts for the game. Mm-hmm. Um, other than a couple nights early in the season where he really struggled shooting very well from the line I think 80 plus percent defensively he has been good at times I do feel like he gets beat though he's still figuring out how to play NBA defense at a high level consistently he goes for steals a lot 
and then mm-hmm. gets beat or he'll get beat back door. So I think that's a point um, of emphasis for him. And I mean, he's a rookie. He's still so young. I mean, the ceiling's obviously incredibly high, but I think, you know, I just said like, could Kaminga be in the death lineup? I think Kaminga would really need to take his defense to the next level for him to like fully unlock and become a part of that like yeah. death lineup. And, you know, the key thing that people don't really realize about the death lineup and why it was so special, it's not just Draymond playing at the five. You need someone who can play the four and actually have some size and rebound over their heads. That's really crucial. I'm not sure if Wiggins is there yet. He's a great three. He's a great kind of like prototypical small forward. He needs to get a little bit not stronger, but he needs to rebound a bit more if he's going to be like the four in that death lineup. Kaminga has a chance. And what's just been so cool is like, think about where he was at the beginning of this season where with his rebounding, with his hustle and with his shots. And now that dude is making these three pointers and I'm not worried about him at all when he goes to the line. The shot growth has been insane to see. Yeah, and I think also a big a big thing that they did was early in the season, he was playing the three, and they mm-hmm. moved him to the four slash five. So when he's the small ball five, he's really thrived um, kind of like in the role that um, uh, Pascal was in as a rookie, where yeah. he's playing the yeah. undersized five and you just have the mismatch. You know, like Kaminga versus... Cousins, like Kaminga's gonna go blow right by him. Like, sure, yeah. Cousins is gonna have more strength in the post and grab a couple, you know, out hustle him for some rebounds. But um, I really think that's where Kaminga's thriving and he's learning how to use his speed and strength to get to the rim um, in some of these matchups. Whereas against threes, he was a little bit more relegated to shooting three to shooting three pointers mm-hmm. and hanging out outside outside the arc. And and yeah, I mean he's above a 30% three-point shooter for the season, you know. So he's definitely uh been a viable source of threes, but I think his main strength has been attacking the rim, putting his head down and, and drawing fouls or and ones. Absolutely. Absolutely. The threes are like a nice bonus and a, and a source of, you know, excitement for the future, but that can't be where he lives. He's got to be just using his strength, getting his head all the way above the rim. And it's just been cool seeing him like his court awareness is growing, seeing when to duck in and roll, when he should try to like call his own shot, when he needs to make the right pass. And it's fun. It's always fun seeing Steph pass it and then start running around. And before, even just like a couple of weeks ago, seeing the rookies like, oh, okay, so it's my turn to shoot. And now it's like, oh, okay, where's the pass? Where you can see Kaminga's eyes tracking him. Like, okay, there he's going to make the right play. It's been fun having a young, like super talented rookies being molded in the spirit of Curry and Kerr. It's very cool. And Moses Moody, man, in that um, makeup Denver game where we didn't bring any of the starters other than Kavon Looney, hit his career high in the first quarter. Um, Moses Moody is just really bust out onto the scenes, proven that he can be a rotational player for Steve Kerr. Um, oh, yeah. Very, very underrated as far as a rebounder. Yeah. Um, showing a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of aptitude for defense and not getting beat and staying with his man. 
Um, yeah. Three-point shot looks good. Some, ga- some games it's on more than others, but just his ability to rebound and attack the rim, I think, are, are also what I have been most impressed by Moses Moody. Yeah, definitely. That hustle where he's just able to grab those rebounds. He always has a nose for the loose ball. He's always playing hard. And even though he's like playing really hard and hustling, he has this poise on the court where he never seems that out of control. In the earlier season, early part of the season he did. Lately, though, he always seems to know what to do. And sometimes he's just not there quick enough or he, you know, he misses the shot or you know, someone else outplays him, but he always knows what to do. He never seems overwhelmed by the moment. And it's exciting watching Moody and Kaminga both get fourth quarter run and like real crunch time run. And if Kerr feels comfortable playing them in the playoffs, that'll be really cool to see. Yeah, this, and again, this team is just looking so deep, right? You already know what you get from Gary Payton Otto Porter Jr., Andre Iguodala, and you got rookies who are deserving of minutes. You've got the core foundational pieces. And then, you know, even though they haven't been that impressive, um, Watskano Anderson, Damian Lee, and Nemanja Bialica, more than capable, you know, end-of-bench rotation players should injuries or foul trouble or whatever happens. Like, these aren't like, sure, it, you know, Bielitsa has just really struggled in this in this second half of the season since the All-Star break. Um, but, you know, Toscano Anderson and Damian Lee, you know that these guys are ready, right? They're ready to come in yeah. should their number be called, even though they just haven't had as much success as they've had in seasons past. Totally. And Sam, it's so cool watching Lee and Juan Toscano Anderson be like so supportive on the bench and still doing all of the cheering and really be happy for the rookies, even though they're taking their minutes. It's a really great team. I got to say, I'm, I will drive, I will fly back home and I will drive Bielitsa to the Oakland airport. I am, I'm so ready for Draymond and then Wiseman to come. So I do not have to see this man play basketball anymore. (laughs) It is getting too rough. I mean, I know he can pass. I know he can shoot, but he doesn't pass well and he doesn't shoot well. And he's a turnstile on defense and you can see it in his body language too. I'm like, just get this guy out of here. It's been tough to watch. I bet he's happy Draymond's back. So yeah, he have- did. Uh, he did hit a three against Washington, which was nice. It's an, a pleasant surprise. It and was. it wasn't a 30 foot three too. It was like feet on the line, like as where they should be. Yeah, yeah. but I think I think you're onto something. I think Bielitsa playing next to Draymond is much different than Bielitsa playing next to Otto Porter or um, JTA Kaminga or, or JTA. Yeah, because yeah, he's not a five, right? He's always been a four. We asked him to play small five this season um and he really needs to be he really needs to be like all in on offense to compensate for his deficiencies on defense and totally as a player he definitely has the tools to hit a couple threes and handle in transition and find the open man and guys are going to close out on him and and he can use that to his advantage to create Um, an open look for someone, but yeah, I mean, a good 20, 30 games of just watching him and smashing your face on the table or the floor or or whatever the closest object you can find, because it just has not been smooth sailing for him at all. 
Yeah. And you know, it's almost not even his fault, man, because the one flaw in this team and who, you know, it was something that we knew from the beginning was that general management like went in on the youth movement and they're like, we're not going to shore this team up with too many other veterans. We're going to use our young players. And a big part of that was not getting a center because James Wiseman's going to be here. And, you know, he wasn't, he hasn't been, he might come back soon. I'm very excited for that, but that's given us a big hole at the center position, especially when the worst thing possible happens. Draymond's out for two months and it was really noticeable. And Bielitsa probably had more of an unfair spotlight there and seeing that glaring hole than anywhere else on the roster. Yeah, that and um, thank God for Kavon Looney playing in every game. Where would we be without him? Bro, the Loon God. Holy cow. I think, you know, I'm not watching every single game from every other team, but Looney's got to get some kind of all defense consideration, at least second team. He's been amazing. Yeah, if he keeps playing like this down the stretch where he's stymieing the MVP candidates, um, Jokic and then Embiid, I think, yeah, he has he has very quickly grown into one of the most underrated pieces on the Warriors. I mean, he's always had a special place in my heart because I've always seen the things that he could do back um, in the Warriors kind of franchise heydays playing mm-hmm. against the Houston Rockets and watching Looney switch out on a Harden and stay with them and, and not be worried about that matchup at all. Um, totally. And just, you see him really put all the pieces together this season with health and growing on offense and showing a lot more um, comfortability attacking the rim. He had a really nice stretch where he was shooting like 80% from the line um, that kind of dipped back down to like his, his career averages, but still you just love to see the growth of Looney and he is, you know, the starting center of this team for the foreseeable future. Now I think that they want James Wiseman to eventually outtake that because I think Looney off the bench is also would be an incredible thing, but for now you've got a really capable undersized center who knows everything that he needs to do and, and is a perfect complement to the core guys that, that are in that starting group. Absolutely, dude. How many centers can switch out to Chris Paul and guard him on the perimeter and then bang with Jokic and Carl Anthony Towns on the interior and like do well at both. It's and like lead the league in um, offensive rebounding. Yeah. I mean, he was during that win streak without Draymond, he was, nearly the best player other than Steph, right? He was such a shining example of holding it up. And then, you know, as expected, it's not just that he's undersized, the whole team's undersized. There's no backup big. There's no even backup four almost, you know? So it eventually wore down on him a bit, but I think he's been so good. I've been so thrilled to watch him and have him play well. And he like, against that Denver game, he played well against Jokic. People were saying it was maybe some of the best defense that they'd seen against this guy who might be the reigning MVP who might win it again. Yeah. I mean, down the stretch, he, he, he stymied Jokic for sure. Two or two or three plays in a row. Um, when the game on the line, Jokic, you know, thought he could beat him and he stood his ground. Mm-hmm. 
And then on the other side, I think that's something we got to talk about, Sam, is because during that losing streak, the fourth quarter troubles, and it's something we've been monitoring all season, right? Like when they're blowing out teams, they look great. But a lot of times when it gets into really crunch time, what happens with the offense? Can they generate enough good looks? And that Denver game, after blowing so many intense games, including right before the All-Star break to Denver, being able to put Jordan Poole to close and coming up with those open shots that were cash money and feeling good like, oh, okay, we can actually win in a close fourth quarter situation without Draymond. It's not like Draymond's going to you know, make that shot necessarily. So I thought that was such a big win for them. And the emergence of Jordan Poole as a real second creator next to Steph, it's allowed Steph to relax. It's allowed Clay to flourish, being more off ball. And he is playing out of his mind this last week. It's been really fun to watch. I think... Um, Sam, I want to know your thoughts. There was a lot of controversy in Warriors Twitter land about Jordan Poole not getting the start when Clay was feeling ill and him starting Moses Moody or Gary Payton the second. A lot of people were like, this is tough love. Jordan Poole comes out and plays like trash off the bench. What's happening? Kerr needs to start him. Hasn't he earned it? What knowing that it's kind of resolved itself without Poole starting, like he started his hot streak off the bench. What do, you, what do you think about all that? Yeah, good question. I I felt like, you know, Steve Kerr's held Jordan Poole to a higher standard than pretty much everyone else on the rest of the team. And I think that it we're seeing the benefits of that now because Poole has just gone gangbusters in his last five, five or so games. So, yeah, I think during the stretch of, of struggles, it was – difficult to watch and and kind of trying to wrap your brain around well why aren't we playing this guy and and just letting him go out there for 35 plus minutes and do his thing but we've also seen how that's not been beneficial to play to young developing players like a James Wiseman for example um Mm -hmm. and so I think that that they really wanted they need pool to be a two-way player so I think you know He's always shown the ability to be effective offensively when his shot's not falling. That's, I think, what they're what they're looking at with him is how can you impact the game when your shot's not going in? Can you still be an offensive creator? Can you get other guys involved? Can you um, not be a net negative on defense, like not be a Brent Forbes or, or some of these undersized mm-hmm. guards who just, you know, knock down shooter but can't do anything on defense? And so they really – pushed him to the brink of like him being like, ah, oh my gosh, you know, they just saw these (laughs) memes where he just wanted to have nothing to do with the media after games. And um, his post-game interviews were just very, like he just had very little to say. Um, But we know that Poole has been one of the hardest working warriors since he showed up and was drafted by this team. And you're just really starting to see him put it all together. So I am supportive of that tough love approach because I think that, you know, Steve Kerr said he doesn't want Jordan Poole to go for six man of the year. He wants them to go for all-star. And that means you got to play both sides. And, and that means that you're going to have a little bit of growing pains as you try and figure that out and play through 
are not are not playthrough mistakes, but you know, Steve Kerr is very quick to kind of in that pop mentality of like, you make one of those deal breaker mistakes, call timeout, like you're coming out. Yeah. We're gonna talk about it because that's something you can't do. Um, and so yeah, it was really tough love for him, but I think we're really seeing him get past that. And now he's that much better of a player for have gone through going through that than some of these other guys who not even on the Warriors, but just other players across the league. I don't really have an example that comes to mind, but just guys <laughs> who just know that they're going to get 20 plus shots and 30 plus minutes, whether they defend or not, whether they play hard or not. Um, and you need motivation. You need to know that even if you're one of the best players on this team, if you don't show up, your opportunity might not be there because you got Moses Moody, you got Clay Thompson, you've got Gary Payton, you've got other guys who are hungry, Toscano Anderson, Damian Lee, who are going to come out with energy and intensity on both sides, even if they're not as talented as you. Totally. I mean, that's such a great point, Sam. And yeah, Poole has, his talent is so high. His ceiling is, I think, way higher than I thought it was going to be after watching his rookie year. And it even taking a more short-term approach, Jordan Poole is going to be coming off the bench for this team, for the Splash Brothers. Like, that's just his role on this team. That's a skill set. That's like a skill you need to learn and develop on. How do I enter the game while it's already happening and make an impact and be able to find my offense, but also get other people going, be the spark plug, but also make sure everyone's okay. He needs to get better at that, whether Clay's in the lineup or not, because that's what he's going to be doing in the playoffs, in the conference finals, in the finals, God willing, if we get there, you know? So I thought it was a bit ridiculous, everyone asking him to start, when I'm like, this dude needs to learn how to be good off the bench, because if he's only good when he's starting, then he's not going to be helpful for us, because that's just not how this team's going to play. Also, you're looking to give opportunity to others, too, and Moses Moody earned that on his own right. Absolutely. You know, it's obviously just the, it's the dual, it's the kind of bridge mentality of like win now slash develop for the future. So there's going to be some trade-offs that decisions that have to be made. Like you're going to give the rookies a chance. um, And Moses Moody is actually a really good candidate to throw him out there in a starting unit for the reasons we talked about earlier. Like he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He plays Mm -hmm. really hard. He plays both sides. He goes after rebounds. He knows how to play within the offense and, and within the bounds of what he can do and not do. Um, Yeah. But yeah, just real quick, Jordan Poole in the last five games, uh, 24 and a half points, four and a half threes, five assists, a steal shooting 58% from the field on 15 attempts, 83% from the line in three and a half attempts. I think the free throw shooting would be better, but he missed two um, (laughs) against Washington, two and a half turnovers. Um, (laughs) Just just absolutely incredible. Every time shooting, making 97 of his last 100 or, or something like that, something ridiculous like that. Yeah, he's been out of his mind, Sam. And the one thing that the stats don't capture boy, does he live for the right, the big moments. Like he wants to hit that dagger three. He's, he's got the Steph instinct of like, let me pull up from deep because I know you're going to call timeout because of it. Like yeah, the, got- the swag points, if, if swag points was a stat, he didn't exactly. have like the most, the most swag and that he could have. Totally. And not like empty swag, you know, not like I look cool. Like, no, this is what's going to beat your team. Like, this is going to deflate you. 
he's got that knack for it. And I mean, those Denver shots to ice the game a few games ago, he, he can show up in the big moments. He's not afraid of the pressure and that's exciting. That's why he might close games. Did you hear um, Fitz's comment in um, the Washington game? He said, um, can you be an OG at 22 years old? <laughs> ah, I saw him say that. That was hilarious. Because, oh. you, you, I mean, you watch him and you're like, this guy's just got so much style. Like, mm-hmm. already for such a young player, he just looks like he belongs. For a guy who wasn't, like, a lottery pick. And to just have so much flair and style and finesse and explosiveness um, and and also creativity, mm-hmm. um, skill, very skilled player. So it's just really great to see. I mean, man, I think earlier in that stretch where he was struggling, it was like, oh, maybe we could you know, get him at a discount once it comes time for when he enters restricted free agency. But man, if this is the level that he's going to play at, and I think the playoff run will, will kind of speak to that a little bit more, but how is this guy not going to be offered a max come, come time when uh, contract times come up? Yeah, well, we'll see. We got to see him do it in the, in a playoff run before we can start talking about max. He's just, he's figuring it out right now, but it's so clear that his ceiling is higher than what was initially like thought. Like he could be like our Jordan Clarkson, right? Or like even a Jamal Crawford, like kind of like the six man gunner off the bench, really offensively skilled. He's a better passer and playmaker than any of those guys. And he has a chance to be something really special, I think. And I, you know, if that, if the Warriors can find a player like that where they drafted him. That's a huge win. That's probably the biggest win since drafting Draymond Green, probably. Yeah, I'd agree with you there, for sure. None of this uh, Anthony Randolph (laughs) type high upside lottery pick failures, but we don't need to get into that. Um, Looking ahead a little bit, we've got about 15 games left in the regular season. I want to get your take on potential first round or even potential Western conference matchups. Is there anyone out there that you're kind of worried about? Are there any teams you might want to see the Warriors avoid? Um, Let me get your thoughts on that real quick. Yeah. You know, I kind of subscribe to the Draymond belief. It's like second seed, third seed, fourth seed, like let's get in there and beat whoever's in front of us. Like, I'm not too worried about anybody. I do think that the drop-off in talent from the sixth seed, which would be either like a Dallas or a Denver, to the seventh seed, which is like the Lakers or the T-Wolves or the, the Clippers, would be, that would be an easy series, I think, which would just, you know, I'm more concerned about the wear and tear over four rounds than any specific opponent taking on the Warriors. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with you as far as like fighting for seeding. I don't think it really matters. Um, I'm not too concerned about like a Denver Dallas matchup. I actually think the Timberwolves would be actually highly competitive, um, just in the way that the Timberwolves are playing. They have one of the best offenses since the All Star break. Carl um, Anthony Towns, Patrick Beverly. 
D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards. Yeah. I mean, do I think that game would, that series would go to seven games? No, but I don't think it would be, I don't think it would be a cakewalk. I think that would be some high level basketball being played. I think the Timberwolves are pretty good on both sides. Um, Denver, I think gets interesting depending on how healthy they are. I just saw that Jamal Murray got assigned to their G League affiliate um, oh, today. I have I no idea on a timeline for his return. I know that Michael Porter Jr. resumed basketball activities. I also don't know what his timeline to return is. And then you got Chris Paul with the thumb fracture. We don't know when he'll be back. So, yeah, yeah I think it's it's definitely open. It's definitely there. I am interested in the Memphis Grizzlies, though, who have been playing really well. And I think that that would be a highly competitive series between those two teams. Um, you know, obviously Grizzlies beat us last year in the play-in mm-hmm. tournament. There's been a little bit of bad blood, a little bit of a rivalry building between these two franchises ever since the Warriors traded Andre Iguodala over there and Iggy and just dropped it out to, to play. play. Yeah, refused <laughs> to play with them for the whole season, getting paid. Um, and that last year in, in his four-year deal with the Warriors, he's getting paid like somewhere between 15 to 20 million to just take the season off. Um, That's remarkable. Yeah. So Um, I think that would be pretty good. I mean, Grizzlies are super deep. You got John Morant, um, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., Steven Adams. They go like 15 deep. They're a pretty good team. They've only lost two games when John Morant hasn't played, which is a pretty weird stat for how much Jaws like hyped up as like being such a good player. And then you look at his team is like, well, actually your team has a better record with you than without you. But um, yeah, yeah. it's wild, man. So I got a couple things to say. One, yes. If Denver has Jamal Murray back and Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. I want nothing to do with Denver. I will (laughs) do not want to see that. Now, do I think Jamal Murray will be like, super duper effective in playoff intensity basketball after being away for so long? Probably not, but yeah, that is a Jokic is so freaking scary that if he has any types of real weapons around him, I don't want any part of that series. So that's the one thing. Uh, Memphis, if, if all goes according to plan, we're meeting Memphis in the second round. Right. And that is going to be probably one of the more fun series in warriors recent history that we have in memory. I think that's going to be electric because Memphis is not scared of them whatsoever. They think they can beat them because they can. They did it in Chase Center last year with everything on the line. And and this year. Yeah, and they this year. They beat us in overtime at the start of the season. That was one of our only early losses at home was to yeah. Memphis in overtime. They're not scared. And they have like this like high energy, young athletic you know, they run off, they turn the Warriors turnovers into their biggest strength. And, you know, most people say, okay, so you're in the playoffs. Those it gets to be slower paced, right? We take care of the ball more. I don't know if the Warriors take care of the ball more in the playoffs. That's kind of the beauty of them, right? They're always kind of flying high, no matter what the situation is. Uh, So that would be a really fun matchup. But I think that Steph and Draymond are like looking at the Grizzlies and being like, we cannot wait to play them in the playoffs or like next week in the season. That's yep. going to be a really interesting game. Yeah, Monday, March 28th at Memphis. 
not an easy season to close. They're playing some good teams. The Celtics tonight, then they've got the Heat, the Grizzlies, the Suns, the Jazz. And then it kind of tapers off. But those are some big games. So real, I like that actually, because that's a chance for the full team, or at least the, the core trio, to really get some high quality reps under their belt before the playoffs start. Yeah, and I will say this as a quick aside. I do agree with, with what you just said on turnovers. Interestingly enough, um, in that stretch where we went two and eight, we actually were only ninth in turnover percentage. And we were like 12 and a half turnovers per game um, during that losing streak. So if there was any silver lining to that, uh, we were taking care of the ball. We just couldn't defend and couldn't score in the fourth quarter. And then in the last four games in this four game win streak, that turnover percentage, we're actually number three with uh, 12.4 turnovers per game. So, um, yeah, man. No, I'm sorry. I, I got that wrong. Number seven. Um, oh, gotcha. But still 12 and 12 and a half turnovers per game. Like, yeah, I think as Draymond ramps up, the turnovers are going to come up a little bit because he's <laughs> more willing to make the risky pass. But, you know, I think that that is always been our Achilles heel. And so if, if we're only turning it over like 13 times a game instead of like 18, I mean, that's 10 less free points that we're giving to the other team at least. Totally. I think it's such a bummer that we did go on that losing streak because I do think Steph played really well as the point guard and being that facilitator and controlling the game. And if we had just won half of those games, you know, and had like a little bit above a 500 record during that, that stretch of time without Draymond, his, you know, all NBA buzz, his MVP buzz would be a lot higher because we'd be like, holy cow, look at Steph being like a classic point guard because he wasn't turning it over that much. He really was setting everyone up. Just no one was hitting their freaking shots. So, yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. I kind of think about it at the other, the flip side of that, which is it's good to have the some adversity in the season and to go through some low points to kind of get everyone to rally together and get yeah. the coaching staff to, to go back to the drawing board and, and look at different things. And I'd rather hit some lulls and low points before the playoffs and then ramp back up and then have, have everyone firing on all cylinders, then not sure. really face any adversity until come playoff time. And then, no, and then all of a sudden kind of be like, Oh shoot, this is like the first time we're really struggling. Like we don't really know what to do because this hasn't happened. But yeah, yeah, of course, I always love to see Steph Curry get individual accolades and I'd love for him to to get MVP again, all NBA consideration. Sure. That seems like a a lifetime ago, Sam, when he was like the unanimous front runner for MVP earlier this season. Well, if the Warriors do some something stupid like 14 and one or or better (laughs) in, in these last remaining 15 games, I mean... I saw it last year that that Curry goes, you know, 40 points a game to close out the season. I mean, he could do it from here on out with now that Draymond's back and every, you know, we're getting more guys and, um, you know, I saw, I saw someone like that and the Warriors end up in second or maybe even overtake Phoenix for number one, if that's even possible, (laughs) not that that even really matters. Like I think Curry could get some late season buzz to kind of turn some heads for the voting. Oh, I mean, if they overtake Phoenix, then Steph is going to be the MVP, you know, mark, mark our words. But I saw some, I saw one stat being like, okay, there's about 
however many games left in the season, if Steph averages about 12 attempts a game from three, he has to shoot about 50% for the rest of the season to get over 40% for the year. And I was like, Ooh, if he could go on a streak like last year to end it, kind of have that scorching hot finale, that would be very, very cool. And actually might bump him back up into that conversation for sure. Yeah, most definitely. Um, so one more thing I wanted to get your take on and talk about here before we close it out. James Wiseman, um, who's been playing in Santa Cruz. Uh, he's currently with the Warriors, but not available to play tonight. I think they just wanted him around the team and practicing mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, it's unclear if they'll he'll play another game with Santa Cruz before he returns with the Warriors for um, for a regular season game. But tell me your thoughts so far on, on James Wiseman, if you've caught or been following his, um, his Santa Cruz debut and what your expectations are, what you think his role could be for the Warriors kind of closing out this regular season and potentially um, following into the postseason. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be just excited to see him on the court, right? It's so cool that he's going to be coming back. Didn't get a chance to watch the Santa Cruz game. Saw some highlights. I'm thinking, Sam, he's got to be what they're probably going to do for this remaining part of the season is that he's going to be the rookie platoon, just like Moody and Kaminga have been for a little bit, where he's going to be vying with Be- for Bielitz's minutes. And they'll probably throw him out there in that time, like in the bench units and see how he does. And I think Kerr's probably going to have a really quick rope with him. Like they are not going to lose games because he needs to get his sea legs under him. Like that's not something they're going to do, but I think he might be effective just, you know, playing a much more simplified role of, you know, rolling to the rim, finishing at the rim, which is like something that Looney and Bielitsa are not doing. And I, I heard buzz, you know, from some of the different Warriors reporters that they're really waiting for Iguodala to come back with him so that there is some kind of floor general, someone to really help him out both on offense and defense. It might be pretty astonishing seeing like what he can just naturally do if you just give him the ball at point blank range. Yeah, I think that there's, I mean, we've been talking about how poorly Bielitsa has been doing. So there's definitely a role for eight to 10 minutes a game without a doubt um potentially more depending on how effective he can be on defense i think it's going to be the big thing right because oh yeah he was not able really as a rookie to defend in any capacity yeah Um, he just got he just got torn apart in a pick and roll he couldn't stay with the picker he couldn't stay with the roller um rebounding had been an issue for him at times. So I think, yeah, he put on like 10 to 15 pounds of muscle. It looks like in mm-hmm. this time that he's been out. So he just looks ripped, um, kind of seen some mixed things. He looked, you know, some clips where he's done well, some clips where he struggled. Um, apparently he still can't catch the ball cleanly and bobbles <laughs> it a lot, but yeah, I think, you know, off the bench with Jordan Poole and yeah, even Iguodala just, guys who can get him the ball in the right spot. So it's just an easy lay-in or, mm-hmm. um, or easy dunk. I think that there's definitely a role. We need guys who can play above the rim, right? It just gives yeah. us another angle, another option for Steve Kerr. Yeah. I don't think he's going to be some elite 
Andrew Bogut rim protector, you know, this season, or maybe even over the next few years, that takes a lot of time and practice and work and IQ and growth. And I mean, he's still incredibly young. Um, yeah. And, wrong. and he's, he has less NBA experience than freaking Kaminga does at this right. point. Right. Yeah. Like, right. Kaminga played a whole season in the G league and ignite and uh, Wiseman in two years now is not even played. He's played in like half of an NBA season. Yeah. It's uh yeah, you know, it's a lot to ask for him to be immediately impactful. What I will say is that Bielitsa's been so bad that even having Wiseman be not great defensively in those minutes, it's like, well, what else is new? They're scoring anyways. So I hope I hope he gets some run. I don't think he's going to get any playoff run, really. But I don't think Kerr's going to really rely on any bigs. It's going to be like just Looney and Draymond and then maybe Kaminga and Porter, if we count him as a big. Um, I think that there could be an opportunity where Draymond or Looney or both get into foul trouble and you just throw Kaminga out there or you throw Wiseman out there just for, for lack of options. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah. I do think it, you know, he could play five minutes and score 10 points. So he could be just like a permanent monster as far as like, not like have a very short leash and very limited scope, but um, in second units, I feel like he could be very effective when you look at second unit bigs that he would face up against, like a DeMarcus Cousins, I think he could outplay, um, for example, yeah. or like even maybe like a Montrez Harrell um, in Charlotte um, or just other, you know, so I think that there, yeah, I don't think he'll reach 20 minutes. I don't think that there's enough, oh, there yeah, isn't no enough way. opportunity, there isn't enough need for his size yet for him mm-hmm. to play that many minutes, but yeah, 10 to 15 minutes, maybe, maybe eight to 10 minutes or even five, five to seven minutes. I think you get him playing hard, crashing the boards, not being a foul machine. Um, and then just be a play finisher instead of being like an offensive creator. And if the ball doesn't stick in his hands and he does what the coaching staff asks of him, you know, I think, I think we could be pleasantly surprised if we keep our expectations in check. If he comes out, Sam, and plays with the same intensity and force that Kaminga and Moody are playing with, I will be above and beyond thrilled. Like, if he's really going for the rebounds, he's trying to get to the line, he's just really putting it all out there, that's a win. Because this season's a wash, right? Like, now he gets to finally be part of this team that has this massive Wiseman-shaped hole in it. Uh, he's not going to get much run in the playoffs other than like these like spot minutes, right? If, if it's an emergency situation. Uh, but if he can get his feet wet to really set up next year as like, okay, I am a part of this rotation. And he shows that he can catch the ball. That's what I'm going to be looking for, Sam. Can this man catch the ball, whether it's from a pass or off the glass for a rebound? I want you to grab that ball like the big, strong man you are. That's what I'm going to be looking for. <laughs> But I think he can. Me too. I'm excited to see him debut. Um, there's still so much discourse and doubt about his draft selection. Um, and I think you just got to be patient. I think you just got to let him age like fine wine and give him a chance. Don't judge him by the first taste that comes to your mouth when you pull off the cork. Give him give them 30 <laughs> minutes to an hour or even sometimes a few hours to just really reach their, uh, 
their full potential. Um, oh like yeah, you just said, born he's a just nice barely... glass Wiseman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like we said, he's barely played any games. Um, that that starting role as a rookie was obviously not right for him. Yeah, um, you've got a new coaching staff here to develop him, uh, and they're committed, right? Um, and there's nobody else out there, right? If they really wanted a Miles Turner. They would have gone out and traded and gotten Miles Turner, who was obviously available. Yeah. Um, I don't think, you know, they, they're not trying to go trade for more aging vets or not. I had Miles Turner's only 26, but um, they're looking for the future. They want to win now and develop and build from the ground up and, and teach these guys the right habits and, and get them to play in a system. So I don't think that there's going to be a lot of, older players that they're going to go out and get in a trade is more so than like guys that they can add in free agency or um, with the trade exception or, or mid-level exception or something like that um, to help kind of complement their core and, and, and their young players, their young pieces. So I don't think that there's going to be a lot of moves for the Warriors to make um, going forward. And so it'll be really interesting not to get too far ahead of myself after this season and the off season, depending on how they do, like what do they do and what options, you know, where do they go from here? And I think it kind of depends how, where they finish in the season, but you know, at least in this four game running streak and kind of projecting what we think that they're going to do in the postseason, and Draymond saying they're going to win it all. And I mean, if last, if uh, Monday's game was any, kind of indicator and i think tonight's game will actually be a better indicator of of really oh, yeah. where they're at and and where where they're going to go now that they're starting to get healthy but um there's not a whole lot more that they need as far as on this team um when you look at pieces and and missing pieces and players to move around you'd like to hope that they bring back Otto Porter Jr. um you know maybe you 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 swap belly for another for another vet guy, uh, vet minimum contract and keep everyone else. I mean, yeah, sure. Damian Lee and Juan Toscano Anderson, you could argue that they're kind of taking up a spot, but at the same time, like they are everything that this Warriors culture and team is about. They're getting paid vet contracts. They step up when they need to. I just think that there's something to say for chemistry and culture and team building you need those end of bench guys that don't have a lot of ego that are your best friends and your teammates and your brother-in-laws um, to just kind of make this <laughs> whole thing work. Yeah. And they know how to play with Steph, right? It's like the ultimate rookie insurance because if they don't play well, then it's like, well, guess who will play these G league scrappers who know and have had success next to this MVP. So if right. you don't pull your heart out, Guess who is going to play his heart out is JTA. And Damian uh, Lee, right? I mean, yeah, those guys might come in and brick their first five shots, but you know that they're sprinting both ways, that they're crashing hard for the boards, that they're going to make the right pass. It's not for lack of effort or trying. It's just yeah. simply, you know, not being as effective. And, and JTA is kind of an interesting point because last season when Draymond missed a stretch of games, Toscano filled in for him uh, in the starting lineup. It was just absolutely incredible. Um, and so, yeah. you know, sometimes you, you're, you're in, you're in a zone and you're knocking down your shots and everything's going your way. And, and this year the cards didn't really fall as such for him, but we've seen him do it before. So it's not like he's a total zero. Um, yeah, totally. 
Totally. And I think, you know, some players, you know, they operate differently in different rhythms, right? Like in that last year, in that final stretch, JTA had a regular role where he really got to find his rhythm and play. And, you know, maybe he's not going to be as effective coming off the bench in like spot minutes, the way he's been kind of yanked around. That's just kind of how the chips fall. But at least, you know, he can do a Draymond impersonation if needed. So I like, I like the team. I think it's good. There's no way they're giving up on the young bucks. I mean, think about how bad Jordan Poole was his rookie year. Like he was the worst player in the NBA nearly. And look how good he is now. So they're definitely not giving up on Wiseman or any of them. Uh, And it'll be exciting to see how much they grow. Yeah. I think it would take like a first round exit. If we, if we got like Dallas or Denver or even Timberwolves in the first round and, and we lose which I don't imagine in any capacity or scenario and even uttering the words makes me um, want (laughs) to kind of slap myself. But I think short of that type of disappointment or failure, like this team and the pieces that they have, they're committed. There's not, I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of change in the next two or three years. Maybe Andrew Wiggins. We'll see. We'll see. You know, it really depends on how these guys like Wiggins and Porter and Poole, who've been, you know, great success stories this season, play they show up. Yep. It's Draymond said it. There's 82 game players and there's 16 game players. Yep. And we'll see. We'll see how this whole team does. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to it, man. It's wild that there's still so much to learn when we only have like 10 games left in the season. I know. And I feel like that's kind of to our advantage that nobody's really played as healthy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's like nobody really knows what to expect. It's like you don't you put your game plan together for the Warriors this season and now, you know, tear it up and start over because Draymond's back, Poole's playing well, and we don't even have Wiseman. You know, we don't even have our, our seven-footer back yet. So totally, totally. Cool, man. I'm so looking forward to the playoffs. It's gonna be amazing. Me too. Well, Corey, it's always great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you, sir. It's great being back on. Can't wait to talk again when we get close to the playoffs, too. Yeah, fingers crossed. Great game tonight against the Celtics on ESPN. Let's do it. Steph always shows up for these big-time games. I want to see him get 50 this time. Jordan Poole, expecting big things from him as well. (laughs) Clay Thompson. Maybe Draymond Green triple-double. Oh, can we? I would love that. Let's go. A big time, big time, big game from the crew. All right, man. You take it easy. All right. See you, Sam. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Once again, this has been a We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast, a sports ethos presentation. Please follow me on Twitter at SD Orlick, and please subscribe, rate, and review the show. Thanks for tuning in, and 